You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, as Max said, today is the Sunday of Advent, and our Advent theme is hope. And so I want to talk about hope today. And I want to ask the question, what is our Christian hope? Uh, what do we mean when we talk about hope in the Christian context, in our, in our church setting? What was the hope the Christ child brought into the world? Maybe that, that definition of hope has changed for us uh, through our deconstruction and reconstruction journey. I know it has for me. Um, but the question I want to answer this morning, perhaps, is what was the hope the Christ child represented in his original context, or at least in, in the Gospels? <laughs> uh, what did Jesus uh, signify? What hope did he signify for those depicted in the Gospel narratives themselves? Um, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, one of the most important passages for Advent, one of the most hopeful passages is Mary's song from Luke chapter one, or what, as it's also known, the Magnificat. I want to read that this morning. It's interesting that I, I, I grew up in the church and I don't think I ever heard this read during the Christmas season in the churches I grew up in. Uh, and maybe you'll see why. <laughs> and, but the, again, this is Mary's song as she uh, is explaining or, or telling her cousin Elizabeth about her pregnancy. Mary exclaims with great joy the following words. She says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has, and this is the part that I think made it difficult for my churches growing up to preach it. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. That's pretty profound. And sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. For Mary, the God she was hoping in and longing for was a God who will, in her own words, scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. A God who will, quote, bring down the powerful and the mighty from their thrones, from their positions of power. A God who will lift up the lowly the least of those among us, the downcast, the downtrodden, the oppressed, a God who will, quote, fill the hungry with good things and also <laughs> send the rich away empty-handed, 
a God who will accept the poor, in other words, the broken, the downcast, and reject the wealthy, the powerful, the elite. He's not only going to lift up the lowly, but he's going to bring down the mighty. He's not only going to feed the hungry, but he's going to reject and send the rich away empty. This is a message of hope, not only that God will be there for the poor and the least of these, but will judge the powerful, the oppressors, and as she puts it, the wealthy, <laughs> right? This was not preached on much in, our, in my capitalist Christian nationalist upbringing, right? But this was the kind of God, and many of her contemporaries, the kind of God she and her contemporaries were hoping and longing for. Notice, she makes no mention of the afterlife. Mary's hope had nothing to do with the hope of heaven and glory high. Mansions in the sky and streets of gold and eternal bliss. Had nothing to do with the hope that she might escape death. That she might live forever. She and her contemporaries had a hope about this life, this world, and their material reality. And that God, the God of their ancestors, might show up and alleviate the problems, the struggles, the, the issues they were dealing with here and now. Meet them in their social, economic, what we might call political context. And bring hope into that. It had nothing to do with the afterlife, the sweet by and by. Which is often, unfortunately, the message of Christian hope, the definition of Christian hope that you'll hear in the church, right? You attend church during Advent season. Most churches, the hope you're going to hear about is the hope of glory, that Jesus was sent into the world primarily to give us eternal life so that we might not actually have to face non-existence and death or hell, right? We're told Jesus came to deliver us, save us from hell, and this is our hope, <laughs> that we might be saved from the wrath of God. Jesus' death, he was sent in the world to die so that God's wrath and justice might be appeased and so that we might dodge hell and make heaven. But this is not the hope of Mary. This was not the hope of the shepherds in the field. Again, Mary and her contemporaries, the first Christians, mind you, they were longing for the establishment of God's will and ways and the social structures of their world. They called it the kingdom of God. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is nigh. The kingdom of God is among you. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about literally a kingdom coming down out of the clouds, but he was talking about God's will and ways. The rule and reign of God being expressed in this life, this world, in the social structures and in our relationships to each other. He was talking about Jesus's ways of living. That's the kingdom of God, compassion and justice and mercy, lifting up the lowly. That's the kingdom of God that was, that was being inaugurated, that people were longing for. Advent is about hoping and longing for something, expecting something. That's what Advent is about. It's about anticipating something arriving, what they were 
in Advent for was the kingdom of God, God's rule and reigns appearing in the social structures of their lives and bringing justice, peace, and equity, and, and food to the hungry and clothing to the naked. That's what they were hoping for. That was their Advent. Again, it's amazing to me that I was raised in the church and heard countless Christmas sermons. Never heard this. My guess is many of you uh, feel the same way. This was their hope. And so I want to start by saying that. And I want to end by saying this. I, I want to I talk today a little bit about emotive hope, because I think it's okay to talk about emotive hope, feelings of hopefulness at this time of year, too. I don't mean to exclude that or say it's just feelings of hope are meaningless. No, they're meaningful. And in order to talk about feeling hopeful, I think we also need to talk a little bit about despair today. Hope and despair are like two sides of the same coin in the same way that, that joy and sorrow are two sides of the same coin. Fear and courage are two sides of the same coin. Just as there's no courage without fear and no joy without sorrow, so there is no hope without despair. What do I mean by that? I'm saying maybe it's not a bad thing to feel despair sometimes. Only someone who is naive or unfeeling wouldn't feel a sense of despair, I think, about the magnitude, the suffering that takes place in the world. Feeling sorrow and despair, I think, is a sign of great emotional depth and intelligence and understanding. So don't despair about feeling despair, I'm saying if that makes sense. It's not so much the feelings of despair that are, that are the problem, but it's the giving in to despair, giving in to a sense of hopelessness and adopting a position of passivity, a position of negativity. That's what we must resist. We cannot always control how we feel. And to be clear, no feeling is bad. There's no such thing as a, as a bad or evil feeling or something like that. Feelings are just feelings. Let's not despair over feeling despair. Let's accept it. But I also want to say that there are good reasons to have hope and not give in to despair. I, I love how Rebecca Solnit, an author, puts it. She says this, I've seen enough change in my lifetime to know that despair is not just self-defeating, but unrealistic. I love that. Despair is not just self-defeating, but it's unrealistic. Despair is unrealistic because if we've learned anything from history, it's that the unimaginable is ordinary and the way forward is never a straight line. In other words, the world is a totally uncertain place, right? Nobody knows what the future holds, and there are endless possibilities, both good and bad, and this means that we can embrace the chaotic nature of, of our world as a good thing, even. Rebecca Solnit goes on, the chaotic nature of the world makes it impossible to ever know the full impact of our actions. Even individual actions or the actions of small communities, even like this one, can have a profound effect. We must therefore take a leap of faith, a leap of faith and hope. We must therefore take a leap of faith and believe that actions driven by love can actually make a difference in the world. 
This is not blind faith because all of human history indicates that such faith is the only engine of positive change. Choosing to practice hope isn't delusional. It isn't naive. It's rational and has always been integral to progress. Hope is not just the choice that feels better, but hope is actually more warranted and logical than despair. Despair is a dangerous thing because it has a powerful amnesia effect. It causes us to misremember the past or forget. We forget and we misremember the fact that history is chock full of both major and minor social justice victories. For example, there's been tremendous human rights advances over the last century compared to the millennia before. In the ways that we think about race and gender and sexuality and class, yes, more, much more work has to be done. Of course, much more work has to be done. Our work will never be complete, arguably, in these areas. But it would be wrong to say that great strides have not been made because they have, and they've taken place on a scale never seen before in world history. There are so many reasons to have hope and be people of hope. But to be clear, it's only because people of hope have stepped forward courageously over the, over the last 100, 200, whatever years, and taken chances in the face of despair and work tirelessly for change. It's only because of their hope that we are standing where we are today. It all starts right here with us in our circle of friends, in our small circles of influence, in our relationships. We must be people of hope. We gotta be mustard seed people, to put it in biblical terms, right? Remember the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus's? It's a very short parable. He simply said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? Which is the smallest of all the seeds. You've seen a mustard seed before, right? It's tiny, but yet it can grow into this massive bush-like tree that all these critters and birds can make their home in. What did he mean by that? He meant big things have small beginnings, which is a Lawrence of Arabia quote, actually, not Jesus. <laughs> big things have small beginnings, he, by saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he's saying that these little paltry things or things that you think are paltry, like love, compassion, mercy, you know, justice, small acts of kindness, it seems paltry. Little communities like this seem paltry and insignificant, but big things have small beginnings. These things that seem paltry and insignificant to us have the power for future effects. World-changing effects. What may love and compassion and kindness and mercy may seem paltry and insignificant sometimes. A simple word of encouragement, a gesture of kindness may seem insignificant, but Jesus is saying this is the kingdom of God in the world. Big things have small beginnings. Simple acts of kindness and love can change someone's life. There's moments in my life where I can look back and, and remember something somebody said or did just in passing that was wonderful. That stuck with me all these years. Likewise, little acts of cruelty can have a similar effect too, right? Big things of small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The ways of God, the ways of love and kindness and compassion 
may seem paltry and insignificant, but they're really the most mighty things in the world, the most life-giving things in the world. Jesus was calling us to be mustard seed people. He was calling us to believe in the power of hope, the hope that we can make a difference, even if it's just in one person's life, or a few people's lives. We can make a huge difference. One life is a huge difference, right? Let's not lose sight of this. In this crazy and confusing time in which we live, let's be mustard seed people. Let's be people of that kind of courageous hope. It's a courageous hope. Let's be that kind of people this Advent season and always. And as we transition now into communion, I want you to meditate on this theme of courageous hope and what the sacrifice, the life and the death, the sacrifice that Jesus made for the cause of justice, for the cause of hope and love. What does it mean for you to embody Christ in your world and your relationships today? Meditate on that this morning as we receive the Lord's Supper and serve each other the Lord's Supper as we always do here at Central. Mm -hmm.